Well, amidst the craziness that was the speaker's race this week, it it kind of buried something that's very special to me and my next guest. I mean, really, it hit home that it's 50 years ago this week that George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees. Yes, 50 years ago. And while he may have taken a team worth $10 million and turned it into a $6 billion franchise, Rene Grohn, he made everyone around him during the 50 years feel worth it. Did he not? He was, uh, I mean, there, are, there aren't enough words. There aren't strong enough words. There aren't big enough words to say what George Steinbrenner meant to the world of sports and entertainment and to the world of people in general. And I know that uh, he touched your life. And maybe for those listening to the Alex Garrett Podcast Network, of which Ray has helped build because of his friendship and, and time to come on the show, um, tell us your story real, real quick for the listener. Well, 50 years ago, and it was actually 50 years in June, uh, George Steinbrenner caught me in the streets doing graffiti. Yes, he himself. People say, you let an old man catch you? Well, he was 42 years old and a former track star. So the aspect that I was defacing Yankee Stadium with a can of spray paint, and so all of a sudden a car drives on the sidewalk and two guys go running out, and I'm the one that's caught, put into a holding cell. And then when the security guy says to him, this is where he belongs. There's nothing that you can do for these people. There's something ticked in his head. And he says, give me the kid. And all of a sudden they take me into the Yankee locker room. They give me a, they give me a, um, a, a uniform. And that night I was the bat boy for the New York Yankees 50 years ago. And, and so how the- I was paying off the damages. And this week, so really that hits home for you when you see the storyline 50-year anniversary. That that does something to you, doesn't it? 50 years ago, this man would in turn, well, let me put it to you this way. If George Steinbrenner doesn't buy the Yankees 50 years ago, the, the world would be totally different. New York would definitely be totally different. Uh, people that, uh, in essence, are alive today, believe it or not, would not be alive today. I mean, so many variables. I mean, if, if they did a movie on George Steinbrenner, the word should be, the word should be if, if, because, and I'm going to give you a classic example. Uh, I would meet my, my then first wife at the ballpark. Okay, marry her. All right. I had a son with her. That son would grow up to become a sergeant in the police force out in Suffolk County. Okay. Uh, one day in one of his calls five years ago, he w- he went into a uh, a house. A woman was having a baby. He delivered the child. The child wasn't breathing. There was something caught in his throat. He did a procedure so that the baby would start breathing. Okay? George Steinbrenner doesn't, what do you call it? I don't meet this woman. We don't have that child. And in turn, that baby doesn't live. 
Okay, there are a million and one stories in the in the naked city surrounding George Steinbrenner, and that, that is, was um, one of them. Whoa, that is uh, beyond just third degree. That's just really deep, and and life is truly connected like that, isn't it, Ray? By Dude, way, congrats I can on your go son, on and on and on. I can go on and on with all these different stories of what if. Well, what is your life? Well, I mean, where do you think your life would have been if he didn't say, you know, and if he didn't do what he did, where would you where would you have gone? What direction do you feel like he would have gone? Let me put it to you this way. I consider you one of the more, more intelligent individuals that I know in my life, okay? So you, I want you to use your common sense. In my home, in my home growing up, there were six boys. Of the six boys, I'm the only one that didn't go to prison. And of the six boys, I'm the only one that's alive. You do the math and you answer your own question. Well, six boys and, and you know, your son is on everywhere. Tell us a little bit about that because Eric ended up on national TV with all of his heroics, didn't he? Uh, John Eric has delivered five babies in five years. He's the father to at least one of them. And uh, believe it or not, Saturday Night Live did a segment uh, on on him. You know, the, it, it was hilarious. And he ended up on the Jennifer Hudson show uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, he's become a... a a local celebrity per se, and uh, he's. I have two sons that are police officers. My other son is doing detective work, and uh, he deals with more tougher issues because he has to deal with the MS-13s, which are out in, in, in Nassau and Suffolk County, one of the most notorious gangs in the world. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's not easy. Being police is, is not easy. But uh, there again, the influence of them becoming police officers goes back to George Steinbrenner and the fact that he started the Silver Shield, which helps families of police officers killed in the line of duty. And I know that he also did Wounded Warriors. I mean, he's been very much part of that whole law enforcement um, deal. And I know you wrote about all of this. So tell us a little bit about your writing this week and what you felt compelled to write as you're you're feeling all of this connectedness. Uh, because I knew that everything that I was dealing with was a scenario was a scenario which came from God. I know that God has it down here as messengers. I know that in essence, how could I go through what I've gone through and it not be a miracle per se? So, you know, it's, you know, I've always liked to write my situations. I've always, I, I was around a lot of great writers through the years. George Steinbrenner was a great writer. You know, and so in essence, uh, I I was educated that way. I, I listen as as the as the great George Steinbrenner once said. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Uh, we were we were in uh, I was at his in his office, and he had all of his friends. He was throwing a party for a lot of his college friends that he that he had met 
on all these different guys that went to uh, Ivy League schools, Yale, Dartmouth, Brown, I mean, you name it. And so I was saying to myself, what the heck am I doing in this room with these guys? So I was looking down at the ground, you know, like just I was embarrassed. And George Steinbrenner looked at me and he knew he knew what I was thinking. And he said out loud, put your head up, young man, put your head up. He says, uh, he says, none of these and I won't use the word he used. None of these guys in here can shine your shoes because you graduated from the greatest university of all. And I'm saying to myself, what is he talking about? And then he yells out, you graduated from the University of Steinbrenner. Uh-huh. And none of these guys could ever have graduated from there. So keep your head up. You know, I've had you on the show a few times. I don't think I've ever heard that story. So thank you for sharing. And he did it, you know. He was a very stern guy, but he had that sort of humorous side to him as well. And just, he just, he had all sides to him, didn't he? Uh, he could be the most serious, uh, a man that you would fear, okay? Uh, and then the, at the, on the next breath, he would be funnier than Jerry Lewis or Eddie Murphy. That's the kind of... Uh, personality that he had, you know, and uh, for me, because I knew he made me feel special. So I knew, like, for instance, if he fired me two minutes later, he's hiring me with a raise. You understand? You and Billy so, Martin. You, you know, exactly. So I, know, I, 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 I didn't fear him that way. I respected that. I didn't respect any man in this world more than I respected him. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Well, but I'm, I think it's time, safe to say you've become a George Steinbrenner historian. So I, I want to stay on this for a second because did you think he thought as a, as a kid from Cleveland, a, a business owner from Cleveland, he could truly impact New York? Or did he just want to buy the Yankees? Because he saw that was a franchise that needed reviving. Like, what was his main impetus for buying the Yankees? He knew the magnitude of what the Yankee brand was. He knew and understood the history of Ruth, Garrick, Maggio, Mantle. You know what I'm saying? He he knew that, in essence, it needed a kick in the butt because when he was in Cleveland and the Yankees, he was a Cleveland Indians fan. But when the Yankees were coming to, into Cleveland, he knew that that was royalty. And, he, and, and, and that was important to him. Hey, he tried to buy the Cleveland Indians the year before, and he had been rejected. Okay? So, and thank God for that. Because a year later, he would buy the New York Yankees, and that was better for him because of the magnitude of the brand. And he and Joan moved, right? Is that correct? He was married to Joan at the time? Yes, he was married to Joan at the time. So that was a huge transition over here to the city. And do you think, I mean, you knew him pretty much when he first bought the team, but did did you notice he was still trying to adjust to the city or did he kind of just acclimate right off the bat? I mean, I wasn't alive to see the transition from him, you know, from CBS to him. So you could tell us a little more. No, well, he he was, I mean, he didn't move into New York. He was staying at the hotels in New York, uh, at, a, at a hotel in New York on 70, um, 70, 
something street, you know, on the east side and, and, and uh, go back home all the time. He was always flying back home. Well, then that leads me to my next point, because in his 50 years or, well, I guess 40 something years, but during the span of the Steinbrenner era, which still exists, even though he's no longer here, his spirit is with us. Is it not like he still owns a team 50 years later, in my view, but um, Phil Collins, let me put let me just stop you and say Phil Collins has a song called You'll Be In My Heart. Okay, and that song will always, for me, be the song of the boss because it says, just look over my shoulder and I'll be there. And I know you have some imagery in in those books about that as well, in your uh, kids' books, some illustrations to that point. But in the 50 years, he's only Yankees. I mean, we've seen a few captains, and one of them was one of your friends, Thurman Munson. And... Is it true that it was a big struggle for him to get Thurman to be captain? I mean, I saw that on Yankeeography, but I want to hear it from someone who witnessed all of that right on ground level. Thurman absolutely positively did not want to be captain. He just wanted to be Thurman Munson. Uh, He accepted the role of leader, and he thought that that was cool. Mickey Mantle was the leader. You know, Bobby Mercer was the leader. You know, so so he just wanted to be the leader of the team, go in, lead by example. You understand? And George Steinbrenner said to him, he said, and Thurman once said, he said, he said, George, if didn't Joe McCarthy say that there would never be another captain after Lou Gehrig? And George Steinbrenner responded by saying, if Joe McCarthy would have known Thurman Munson, he would not have said that. And at that point, Thurman accepted the role. But the one thing he said, do not expect for me to have a C on my shirt, because that's not going to happen. We saw on stage at Bat Boy the, you know, Larry David Davis, who played an amazing Steinbrenner. We saw him cry on stage, and that was, I mean, this man of sort of steel, if you will, of, of... of bravado, but this death of Thurman Munson broke George Steinbrenner a little bit. And do you think his ownership kind of changed, or his his uh, aura, or the way he was hands on after that changed, or did, was there a different approach that he had after that uh, death of Thurman? Did you notice? No, no, no. The only thing that changed is that he accepted the aspect that there is crying in baseball because Thurman dying broke him, broke him down to where he needed to be. He became more sensitive towards his players. That's what I was getting at. So there, so there was sensitivity toward his players after that. Right. But obviously he continued to own and own. And, you know, the legacy also had the Winfield Madden thing, and we've never talked about that, but I've never asked you about what happened during that band. But now that I got you, what was going on? Did you stay in touch with him? Like, what was the aura around the Steinbrenner, you know, world during that era of, of Winfield Magley and the band? Uh, not, he was, hey, listen, he was still winning, winning, winning. 
He wanted to win for the fans, for New York. That was big for him. It was like an addiction. And, 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 and naturally, he always, in the 80s, even though we did, except for 81, we didn't win after that, he still had the best record. If you look at the overall record in the 80s, the Yankees had the best record. They had the best winning record in the 80s. It's just that was the era where they didn't have the wild card and all that stuff, and and we'd lose by two games at the end of the season and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, hey, he did everything possible to try to win. He had the best players. He had the best leadoff hitter in Ricky Henderson. He had the best overall players in Mattingly and Winfield. I mean, he did everything humanly possible to try to win all those years is just the luck of the draw. Because let me tell you something, if baseball then was like it is now with, you know, the wild card team and the second place team getting in and stuff like that, Yankees would have probably have won three more world championships. I I feel like they could have definitely won a few more. And we're going to talk about the 98 Yankees because a familiar face is going to be uh, managing the Ferry Hawks, which I want to, talk about but real quick everybody was so elated that Aaron Judge became captain and re-signed I mean were you in on 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 those inner workings I mean did you is there any inside scoops you could tell us about that sort of drama and you must be happy he's back right and captain he's worthy of that isn't he um well let me put it to you like this um I'm going to give you a classic example. Uh, When Derek Jeter was the captain of the Yankees, somebody came up to me and said, Ray, uh, could Derek Jeter have been the captain of the Yankees in those 77, 78 teams? 76, 77, 78 teams? And I said, please don't go there. I said, you're trying to compare, and there is no comparison because only Thurman Munson could have been the captain, the leader of what that, that team was all about with George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin and Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson and Greg Nettles. And I mean, you know, it goes on and on. And, and the intensity in that clubhouse and the aspect of, uh, you know, physical fighting and spiritual fighting and everything else. But at the end of the day, when they got on the field, they were a band of brothers who was kicking everybody's ass. Okay, period. So could Derek Jeter have been the captain? of? Hey, Derek Jeter could have played for that team, but he could not have led that team. Could Aaron Judge be the captain of that team? No. No. Okay, because it was a different man, a different animal. Thurman Munson was a man's man, a leader, a grit, and he didn't need to say, hi, I want to be the captain or anything like that. Do you think that was part of the deal? Are you saying that was part of the deal to come back? I, I, I have no idea about what that was all about. Hey, for this particular team, he's the right guy. If you need to have a captain, then he's the right guy. He's he. He's he's your elder statesman per se. He's been there the longest, you know what I'm saying. And he he he's great on the field. He's their best overall player. So if you need to have a captain, then he should be the captain. I know you're still a role with the Yankees and amidst your Bat Boy uh, touring, if you will, and and everything else you got going on. So as 
community advisor, right? That's sort of an advisor. What is your role 50 years later with the Yankees? Give us a little clarity on that. Uh, I, I work under Randy Levine, our team president, uh, and I try to assist in any way that that I can help him and the New York Yankees. Uh, uh, for me, my most significant role as the community uh, consultant is that I go to schools and hospitals and I, I bring players with me. I, I recently had uh, Anthony Volpe at one place and I had uh, Harrison Bader at another place. And, uh, and in essence, try to take a child who's not maybe smiling that day because, A, he doesn't have a father, B, he might have cancer, C, he might have a, 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 a situation where is, he's handicapped. And we try to make them feel like they are somebody, they are somebody. They count in this world. And you know what? That is what Mr. Steinbrenner embodied uh, off the off the field and in his own suite. I mean, when he had a, a whole collection of people up there that were either hosts on television or just regular kids and regular people. I mean, he brought everybody in and he made everyone feel worth it. You actually helped to educate George Steinbrenner. And do you, and you have no idea how, do you? I I don't. When he first met you, and you were a young boy, he saw you with one leg, and he said to himself, and later to me, "This poor boy, he has a handicap. Let's be good to him." And later on. He found out that you didn't have a handicap. He found out that you were stronger than most. He found out that we were the ones with the handicap because we were looking at you as handicap and you were stronger than us. You felt like, hey, I can be here. I can do here. I don't have to be ashamed that I only have one leg. And you, in turn, educated him. And I cry right now because you may have given him his strongest education. And I'm proud to call you my friend because you helped my strongest friend, and I will always be a disciple of George Steinbrenner, and I will always be proud to call you my friend because you educated George Steinbrenner. I I don't know what to say, but that is really special. And, you know, he fired me once, of course, jokingly, but he got to know I was kind of all over the place, and there were a lot of moments that... I remember like there were yesterday and again, he made it so seamless and you did too, Ray. So thank you both for welcoming me into that world. I, it still gives me chills thinking about it years later. Well, all I know is everything happens for a reason 
And I know that he was happy that you came into his life. Okay, so what would you like the Yankees to be when we celebrate 100 years of celebrating? Because this this day, January 3rd, uh, will always be remembered. Well, and not for the day he bought the Yankees in 1973. So let's look at, down the road 50 years later. What do you want people to remember and love about the Yankees at 100 years since he took over the team? Um, I... I don't have an answer to that because I'm I'm concerned about this year and I, and and I, and I want for the people of New York to understand who this man was understand what he did understand that of all the owners in all of major league baseball all of them all of them there's only one that was that would be and was man enough to walk into the south bronx one of maybe the 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 toughest area that uh that is the home of a major league team, the toughest area, and to walk into the community with the people, whether they're nice people, whether they were gang members, whether whatever they were, and he was not afraid to walk in there, to drive through there. Uh, when Whenever he was fighting with Billy Martin, there were times when he wanted to go into the neighborhood because it was a wake-up call to reality, the reality of life. Baseball is one thing. It's a sport. It's a game. Why am I so mad here when the real world and what's happening in this real world? We were driving through a neighborhood in the Bronx. You know where it was? 161st Street and Westchester Avenue, which is where I was born. Okay? And he didn't even realize it. And he says, Jesus, imagine to have to come home to this every day. And I turned to him and I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, I did. And that was a shocking wake-up call for him. And he took that as an education. I wasn't mad that he said that. I was happy that he said that because when he realized if I meant anything to him, then he was going to try to do something about it. And on many occasions he did because he gave a lot of kids from the area jobs and things to that effect. He made them bad boys. He made them vendors. He made them a lot of different jobs and things like that. So, you know, man, I love you, George Steinbrenner. Well, when you talk about the stories of how you and him drove through those areas, it was it's remarkable to hear because here's the owner of the Yankees, the biggest franchise in the world, yet here he is saying, I want to go through these neighborhoods to see what the hell is going on around me. And I would say he was one of the most self-aware owners in that regard, wasn't he? I don't think many owners take the time to do that. He not like that, not hardcore, okay? 
And I, I like to feel that him listening to some of my stories, because, I, you know, when I first met him, it was like, why do you do that? Why do your friends do that? Why do your friends have to be destructive? And in my own way, uh, I was just talking, not trying to be someone with the answers. I was just telling him about my own life. And it was almost like, damn, people really live like that, huh? And and now I feel like you continue it. I want to take it a step further. You, know, you not only continue it by your community service, you're training your men, mentees, your protégés, like a Nick Singh, like uh, Young Ray. I mean, Carmine. all you guys, Car, you know, Carmine, all of them are learning under you. And so do you feel like Yankees community service can continue in his spirit because of your tutelage to those that are coming after you, if you will? I, I can't talk for others. I can only talk for myself. And when he started to get sick, I felt an urgency to say thank you a lot. Because I knew at the end of the day, after one of my cousins that lived with me had just died, it was like, oh, my God, and I'm still here. You know what I'm saying? And so I needed to say, boss, thank you. Thank you. You know, I mean, it was just like it became pathetic. And he said to me one day, Ray, you got to understand something. When I met you and I looked into your eyes, your story was already told. Understand that. If you feel like you have to thank me, the only way that you can thank me is by continuing to do what you do and educate the ones behind you. Okay. So I'm just doing what he wants me to do because I know spiritually when I look over my shoulder, he is there. And I, and yes, that's a whoa moment. So Ray, where can people find it? Is this on the Tastemakers website, your new article on Mr. Steinbrenner's yes, 50th anniversary? Yes, it is. I will yes, link it, it in the description as well, because um, with podcasts you could do that. But George Steinbrenner, you'll be in our heart 50 years later. And Ray, um, thank you for always including my dad and I in your own way of honoring his legacy. And that you're keeping this going, sir, and I really love you for that. Well, you're a part of the boss's army. We are his disciples. Remember that. And I love you because you're a jokester, too. But we will get to that on another show. I, I, this guy, Ray, you know, he's serious today. But on any other day, he's very um, laid back and just a funny guy. You know you are, right? Well, you know, hey, again, que sera, <laughs> Thanks again, Ray. And we will see you around the park this year and maybe before spring training. Tell us what you're hearing. And one last thing before I let you go. Homer Bush, 1998 Yankee, World Series champion, is the Ferry Hawks' new manager. And I don't know if you want to tell us the story of how he got there, but I know you might have played a role in that. Uh, actually, Randy Levine, our team president, uh, called me and said, we need a manager in Staten Island. And uh, 
he he liked Homer Bush very much. And he says, I know you know Homer. And I said, Randy, great idea. Great idea. And he said, get him on the phone and and let's set up a meeting. And so that's how this thing came about. So maybe I'll see you around two parks this year, huh? I'd love to have you see you at the Staten Island Games as well. Well, we're going to have a little bit of a press conference with Homer at the end of the, of the month. So I would love for you to be there. Let me know the details and we'll cover it on the Alex Garrett Podcast Network. Yes, another name change because, Ray, you were part of this network of people and, and friendships that have grown this with me. So I'm, I'm naming it in honor of the people that, that helped me along the way here. You got it, my brother. Yes, you-